Today on The Matt Walsh Show, a professor wrote an article in the New York Times asking whether humanity should commit mass suicide in order to protect the planet. We'll talk about that. Also, an 11-year-old boy danced in drag for men at a gay bar. This is the normalization of child sexual abuse, and it is happening right now as we speak. We'll talk about that today on The Matt Walsh Show. Yesterday, you may have heard that uh, President Trump tweeted about the need for uh, good border security, except he spelled it B-O-A-R-D-E-R, like cupboard or snowboard. And um, that actually got me thinking. It, 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 got the, it got the creative juices flowing. And before you know it, I had this whole idea for a blockbuster film that was all based on this one typo. And it may seem kind of weird to base a movie on a typo, but they base movies on a lot of dumb things these days. So why not on a, on a typo? So here's my idea, just very quickly at the top. Um, and if you know any Hollywood producers and you could pass this along, this is my idea. Okay, just, just, just imagine this. The movie is called Border Security, spelled Trump's way, B-O-A-R-D-E-R, um, and it stars The Rock as an elite snowboarder recruited by the government to guard a mountain military institution against an army of genetically modified yetis. Okay, uh, of course, Kevin Hart will, will be his sidekick in the movie. Uh, I don't have all the scenes and dialogue worked out yet, but I need a lot of snow puns in the movie. And then I need a scene at the end of the movie where um, where uh, The Rock is battling the head Yeti guy, and he finally wins the altercation, and he's about to throw the Yeti into an oncoming avalanche, and then he says something like, he says something like, I think you need to cool down, and then he throws him, which I know that that kind of plagiarizes Arnold Schwarzenegger in Batman Forever, but 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 that's fine. And if The Rock is not available for this film, then we can change it a little bit, and it could be um, Liam Neeson as a grizzled ex-snowboarder who has to come out of retirement to rescue his kidnapped daughter from a gang of Eskimo human traffickers. And I definitely need a scene in that movie like, like the Ben-Hur chariot race scene, except with um, sled dogs. So anyway, um, that's, I'm just, that's, that's my idea, Hollywood, and I'm throwing it out there for free. I will only need $5 million. Um, it's free except for the $5 million that I would need if you decide to make that movie. All right. Um, a lot I want to discuss today. Uh, ben Shapiro has an interesting piece in the Daily Wire about a professor at Clemson, um, philosophy professor, T Todd May is his name, and he wrote an article in the New York Times called, Would Human Extinction Be a Tragedy? So you know this is going to be good. And it shouldn't be good. It shouldn't be a good article. It shouldn't be interesting because it should be a really short article. Would human extinction be a tragedy? Uh, that's the title. And then the body of the article is, yes, the end. That's what it should be, right? Because it's a very obvious answer. And then, But that, that would be a, an odd article to put in a newspaper. So he has more to say than that. And it, 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 as I'm sure you can imagine, he, he is um, not so sure that it would actually be a tragedy. Basically, he concludes that human extinction would be a tragedy from a human perspective, but it would also potentially be a good thing. And he goes on to explain that humans are cruel and barbaric and so on, and we're destroying the planet, and we're killing animals, um, and maybe the world would be better without us. Here's, here's the segment, here's one segment of his article that Ben quotes. Uh, it says, to make that case, 
Um, let me start with a claim that I think will be at once depressing and, upon reflection, uncontroversial. Human beings are destroying large parts of the inhabitable earth and causing unimaginable suffering to many of the animals that inhabit it. This is happening through at least three means. First, human contribution to climate change. Um, second, increasing human populations, encroaching on ecosystems that would otherwise be intact. Third, factory farming fosters the creation of millions upon millions of animals for whom it offers nothing but suffering and misery before slaughtering them in often barbaric ways. There is no reason to think that those practices are going to diminish anytime soon. Quite the opposite. Humanity, then, is the source of devastation of the lives of, uncon of, of conscious animals, I should say, on a scale that is difficult to comprehend. If this were all... If this were all to the story, there would be no tragedy. The elimination of the human species would be a good thing. Full stop. Now, May acknowledges that poetry and art... This guy teaches at a college, by the way. May acknowledges that poetry and art and, um, and so on are good, but he says that all the misery we bring to animals and plants outweighs that. Um, and then he gets to his proposal. And I like that he offers a solution because I'm a solution-oriented guy. Uh, but actually, I'm not. All I do is complain about society. Uh, so I'm a complaint-oriented guy. But uh, he is a solution-oriented guy, and that's, and that's good. Um, but his solution is a little problematic. His solution is potentially mass suicide or um, killing all the babies. That's his solution. He says, um, one might ask whether, given this view, it would also be a good thing for those of us who are currently here to end our lives in order to prevent further animal suffering. Um, although I do not have a final answer to this question, I have a final answer to it. Uh, I, I'm not going to commit suicide for this so that um, squirrels and cows don't suffer. Uh, that's my answer. So I have no problem answering that question. My, my answer is no, I'm not going to... So if everybody gets together and says, hey, Matt, we're going to have a mass suicide, um, you know, for the sake of the horses, my answer is going to be no thank you. I, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, very polite of you, but I'm actually, I'm going to go watch TV instead. Um, although I don't have a final answer to this question, we should recognize that the case of future humans is very different from the case of currently existing humans. To demand, to demand of currently existing humans that they should end their lives would introduce significant suffering among those who have much to lose by dying. In contrast, preventing future humans from existing does not introduce such suffering since those human beings will not exist and therefore not have lives to sacrifice. The two situations then are not analogous. It may well be then that the extinction of humanity would make the world better off and yet would be a tragedy. I don't want to say this for sure since the issue is quite complex, but it certainly seems a live possibility and that by itself disturbs me, says May. Yes, it disturbs me too. It disturbs me that you teach at a college, um, though this is exactly what I would expect um, from a college professor and from the New York Times. It's exact, and there's a reason why this is from a college professor in the New York Times, and the, it's crazy for one thing. You expect crazy things from college professors these days, but it also it also shows you that this is a pretty mainstream view on the left. Um, a mainstream attitude, I should say. Now, the exact proposal of, well, maybe we should all kill ourselves. If not, we'll kill the babies. Uh, you know, that exact proposal may not be accepted by everybody on the left. Um, 
But the attitude, the general nihilistic attitude that humans are a blight on the earth, that is definitely mainstream. In fact, I, could, I doubt you could find very many people on the left who would substantially disagree with it. I doubt you could find that. But there's a problem here, okay? Well, there's many problems. But I'm just going to deal with the logical problems, the moral problems of mass suicide of, uh, or, or of killing babies. It, the moral problems there are so obvious that either you see them or you're way too deluded to be convinced by a guy on Facebook. So I'm just going to leave that to the side. Let's talk about the logical problems with this um, rather nihilistic approach. Specifically, specifically with the approach that says the earth would be better off without humans, okay? Now, number one. If you believe in God, well, now we are getting into the moral aspect, I guess. But if you believe in God, then obviously it makes no sense to say that the planet is better off without humans because in that case, the planet was largely made, maybe not not only, maybe not uh, solely, but was largely made um, for humans. Now, so then, it, of course, it doesn't make any sense that we're better off um, not being on the planet that was was made for us. If you don't believe in God, and I assume that this professor doesn't, if he's entertaining the possibility that we should all kill ourselves, then I assume he doesn't believe in God. Um, but if you don't believe in God, then it makes even less sense to have this kind of attitude. Because there's no basis by which to call a humanless planet good or better. There's no, these are value judgments. These are moral value judgments. And from the godless perspective, moral value is a human construct. So if there are no humans, then there are no moral values. Nature cannot see itself as good, and there's no indication that animals have any moral sense whatsoever. So in order for the earth to be good, um, in order for it to be better, there, there must be human beings on it. And then you're left with a paradox that in order for the earth to be better off without humans, there have to be humans around to declare that it's better off. Otherwise, it's just, it's just nothing. In, in, a, in a morally relativistic world, uh, that means that humans come up with the idea of morality. If there are no humans around, there's no morality. It's just, it's just existence. And it makes no sense to call it better, good, worse, anything. You can't, you can't use any of those terms whatsoever. Um, the second thing is I see, I see in this logic the same flaw that I see in vegetarianism. Okay, um, If you're going to say that it's, it's wrong for us to kill animals, um, for instance, that what are you basing that on? Are you saying that we're all equal to animals, thus we have no right to kill them? But if that's the case, then why are you expecting more out of us than you expect out of other animals if we're equal to them? Animals kill each other all the time. Animals eat other species. They eat the same species. They eat their young. They eat their mates. Um, they, kill, they kill each other over territory, etc. So if we're equal to animals, then there's no reason at all to oppose us killing animals. Because we're just acting like we are just being one of them. 
the fact that we're so much better at it, um, the fact that uh, you know we're more efficient and better at killing an a- killing animals, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. If 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 lions could could uh, kill their prey in a, in a in a in a more effective and efficient way, they would. They just are too stupid to have figured it out. We figured it out. So there's no. So again, if we're equal to animals, there is. It makes no sense at all to say that we shouldn't kill and eat animals in that case because that's what animals do, right? Um, and in that case, in fact, if we're equal to animals, then it's kind of presumptuous. Not to kill any animals. I think it's it's almost, if we're equal to them, it's almost rude not to kill and eat them because it's presumptuous. It's like we're pretending to be better than them or something. Um, it, it, we're taking this kind of like holier-than-thou approach. And I'm sure if the cows could speak, they would say, dude, you're not better than me. Okay, who do you think you are? And then we would say, yeah, you're right. You know what? I guess we should eat you. That, that's how that conversation would go. But... If you say that we shouldn't kill animals because we are superior to animals, um, we are rational, we know better, then I could take that same logic and I could say that our superiority gives us the right to use animals um, to our benefit. So either way, you know, either we're equal or we're superior to them, and whichever one is the case, it just doesn't make logical sense at that point, to say that it's wrong to kill and eat them. Now, granted, this article only specifically takes issue with factory farming, and I grant that you could take issue with factory farming while being okay with eating meat otherwise. So I'm just talking about vegetarianism in general here. But I still think that my point applies to this particular argument, because he says that we may be better off killing ourselves partly for the sake of the animals But if we're equal to the animals, then our domination of the planet is perfectly natural and perfectly normal, and it's perfectly animalistic, which is what you would expect from animals. It's exactly what the dinosaurs did, though, in a different form, but they dominated the planet and and, uh, in many ways made it inhospitable to other forms of life as they were the the age of the dinosaurs for millions of years, and they, they, they were the dominating force. Um, and now they were wiped out by an asteroid, but, but nobody would say, nobody would say that, you know, they should have all killed themselves because they weren't giving other forms of life a chance. So if we are superior to animals, then again, it makes no sense to call for our extinction. Now we could go on, um, all day, uh, dissecting the problems with, with this logic. The real point is simply that there are people in America who really do think this way, okay, really do think like this, um, who really do see humankind as a curse on the planet. And you notice that these people are never willing to go first. They aren't going to remove themselves from the gene pool and get the ball rolling. No, they want others to do it. Just like the people who complain about overpopulation, you'll notice they complain about overpopulation Um, But they never seem to put themselves in the over category, right? They're just population. Everybody else is overpopulation. Or more more commonly, um, the over are the babies and the unborn babies. They're the ones who are extra. And that's kind of the, the, the attitude that this article takes as well. Which brings us to a whole other problem. 
Okay, if you're going to say um, that uh, we are in some ways equal to animals and we should value animal life, even plant life, then how do you not apply that logic to unborn babies? Because you can't, there's no question that unborn babies are living. There, there's no doubt about that. They are, they are living creatures. And if you're going to extol the, the, the value of animal life, then you can't make rationality the basis by which um, a, a creature is, is, is accorded value. If, if, because in that case, then animals aren't worth anything either. So an unborn baby is, um, is a living creature. So then in that case, what, and, and why penalize them? You, know, you notice his argument, and this is so common on the left, where they say, well, you know, we need abortion because of overpopulation. Humans are destroying the planet. Why are unborn children penalized for that? They didn't do it. Okay, so you're not blaming the cows and you're not blaming the squirrels or whatever for, for destroying the planet. You'd say, well, they didn't do it. It's not their fault. Fine. Well, the unborn children didn't do it either. Why do they have to pay the price? It doesn't make any sense. And if you're talking about, well, we need to make the planet a better place for the sake of animals, yeah, what about making the planet a better place for the sake of our children? What, what about this, making it a better place for the sake of our unborn? I mean, you're worried about you're you're worried about how how the planet is for 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 deer and foxes, and um, and chipmunks, but you're not worried about how the planet will be for our children. No, for our children, you say, yeah, well, we'll just get we'll kill them, we'll get rid of them. Um, but you know, we need we need to really fix things for the sake of uh, for the sake of aardvarks. It's just it is a it it is not only a morally deranged point of view, it is completely and totally. Um, illogical. All right, an article on uh, the Daily Wire yesterday by Amanda Prestigiacomo, who, by the way, I saw her at the uh, Christmas party, and I asked her how to pronounce her last name um, because, you know, I use her articles all the time for my show, but I, I can never quote her because I wasn't sure how to pronounce the last name. I didn't want to pronounce it wrong because she's a coworker. So I got the right pronounce pronunciation. So now I can finally give her credit. Um, Anyway, an article uh, says, uh, on December 1st, an 11-year-old boy dressed in drag danced on stage in a sexual manner at a gay bar in Brooklyn called $3 Bill. The child, Desmond Napoles, uh, or Napoles, was dressed as a Gwen Stefani lookalike, full drag makeup, a blonde wig, a crop top, as he bounced around on stage to no doubts like a girl and collected dollar bills from male adults viewing the number. This is not made up, okay? This is this this happened. The Daily Wire has reviewed the, the reviewed and confirmed the performance through video and photo posts on social media, but has chosen not to link to the exploitative footage. The performance, first flagged by YouTuber Yosef Ozia, was promoted on Eventbrite by three dollar bill. Uh, the promotion says only in New York, a nightclub that makes you go whoa. Reads the promotion featuring upcoming legend from television in the runway. Desmond is amazing, performing live. This stage, this dance floor, this house is ours as long as we protect it. So the article goes on from there. 
Um, the boy has been on the drag circuit. He appeared in a drag, and I think in a uh, appeared in some kind of drag music video when he was six years old. His family, as you may have guessed, is totally supportive. They would have to be because uh, as a child, your, your six-year-old doesn't get involved with this kind of stuff unless you're putting him into it, right? Um, a six-year-old boy should have no clue what 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 uh, what a drag queen is. A six-year-old boy should have no idea what it means to dress in drag. So if your six-year-old boy is into that, it's because you introduced him to it and got him into it um, because you are a, a pervert and a deranged nutcase. Um, and they also appear to have monetized their son's sexual exploitation. They have merchandise now, among other things. Now, what, what, what can I say about this that I haven't already said? Um, what we're seeing here is child sexual abuse, plain and simple. Obviously, the parents should be in jail. Um, so should the owners of this bar. So should everybody who knowingly attended the drag performance of a child. Um, but mainly the parents. The parents are sexually exploiting their own child in plain view of everyone. And rather than being arrested, rather than being condemned, they are applauded and celebrated. Now, there's there's just one additional point I want to make about this. And I've talked about this kind of thing many times. But I want you to imagine for a moment, okay? Imagine that this was uh, an 11-year-old girl being paraded around all dolled up, dancing on stage uh, with a bunch of men at a bar throwing dollar bills at her. Okay, just, just imagine that. Imagine it is a, it is a girl um, dressed in the way that drag queens dress, dancing on stage, and there are a bunch of men hooting and hollering and throwing dollar bills at her. Now, of course... There is no moral difference at all between that situation and this. There is not even the slightest, smallest difference. It is exactly the same thing. And yet, if there were a video of something like that happening, there would be national outrage. Everybody involved would be arrested on sex abuse charges, and deservedly so. And we all know it. Who... Who, who in the world would stand up to defend something like that? No, this is only tolerated because it's a boy with gay men. That's the fact. And as much as the LGBT community uh, likes to complain about persecution, the truth is that they get special treatment as always, right? Because they can get away with pretty much anything because everyone is so deathly afraid of being called homophobic. You know, that's the, uh, that's, th- that, is the, that is the one label, that's the one thing that nobody wants to be stuck with. Nobody wants to be a homophobe. And so we're just going to, if, if we look at it, we say, oh, well, it's the gay community doing it. That means that we can't, we can't complain. We can't criticize it. Well, as we just need to get over that. I mean, I, it, I'm over it. I've been over it. Um, 
but all the rest, we just need to get over that. You, you know, you, you need to get over your fear. If you're, if, you're, if you're deathly afraid of being called homophobic, you got to get over that fear. Because that fear is being, just like you got to get over the, 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 the fear of being called bigoted or racist or sexist, which isn't to say that it's okay to actually be any of those things. The point is that you can be called any of those things, um, even if you are not those things, obviously. That those labels are used to shut down legitimate debate and legitimate discussion and legitimate criticism. And so you should be morally opposed to actually being sexist or bigoted or racist or anything like that. But you cannot be afraid of the label. You can't be afraid of people exploitatively, coercively trying to manipulate you by throwing that label at you. And when it comes to labels being used to manipulate, coerce, um, exploit, and everything else, homophobic is, is the number one. Possibly second to transphobic. People are so afraid of that label for some reason that they just, many people will let even something like this go without, without criticism. What we see is, this is not a slippery slope anymore, Okay. We don't need to worry that all the stuff that's going on um, is is going to lead to the normalization of pedophilia. Um, we don't need to worry about th- that it might happen because it is happening. We need to worry about the fact that it is happening right now, that we are watching it happen. Th- there, this is an 11-year-old boy dancing for guys at a gay bar having dollar bills thrown at him. Th- that is the normalization of pedophilia. Look, it's happening right now. We're here. It's not a slippery slope anymore. We're not looking further down the slope and saying, oh, we might end up there. We are here right now. It is happening right now. Pray for the country. That's all I can say. And pray for this, um, you know, more than that, pray for this poor young boy who just has been exploited um, for as long as he's been alive, practically. And um, he's he needs a lot of prayer and a lot of help, and he's going to need a lot of counseling once he finally breaks free from the um, gr- grip of his monstrous, despicable parents. He's going to need a lot of counseling. All right. Um, finally, today, as we uh, get ready for Christmas, I, I wanted to settle once and for all a discussion so that it doesn't need to continue. Um, I'm going to give you the definitive Christmas movie rankings. Okay. These are the top five best Christmas movies in order from good to great. And I emphasize that my list is objective. It is scientific. And as such, it is absolute. And when I am dictator, everybody will be required by law to affirm the truth of this list. And all infractions will be punished by death. All right. um, Number five, It's a Wonderful Life. Fifth best Christmas movie. Classic. Uh, Number four, Christmas Story. Number three, Home Alone. Number two, Charlie Brown's Christmas. And number one, John Carpenter's The Thing. Now, that's the movie about the research team in Antarctica being hunted down and killed by a shape-shifting alien. Now, the, the movie technically doesn't take place on Christmas, doesn't have anything to do with Christmas at all, really, 
but there's lots of snow, and there are also guy with, guys with beards. And as far as I'm concerned, that makes it a Christmas movie. Um, and just to settle that debate, here are the criteria to determine if something is a Christmas movie, okay? Um, it need only meet one of these criteria. Number one, it has to take place on Christmas, or it can take place in the snow. So that The Thing, uh, The Revenant, Fargo, The Shining, Christmas movies. Um, number three, there's a guy with a bushy white beard. So Lord of the Rings, obviously. And number four, if it makes you feel merry, like The Princess Bride, then it is a Christmas movie. That's all it takes to be a Christmas movie. Or if we want to get really technical and theological, um, which maybe we should be when it comes to what we call Christmas films, then really, actually, there are almost no Christmas films at all. Because in, act- in, in order to really be a Christmas movie, right, it would need to either be a movie about Christ and about the Christmas story, or at the very least, Christ would need to feature prominently in it. And even a movie like It's a Wonderful Life, which is a wonderful movie, and I love it, but Christ is, is barely mentioned in that movie. So are there any actual Christmas movies? There are a lot of holiday films. There are a lot of very good holiday films. But um, as far as actual Christmas movies, I mean, you're left with that cartoon a few years ago about the, the donkey that carried the Holy Family to Bethlehem. Um, so that's a Christmas movie. I think they made a movie a few years ago about the nativity story, but um, th- there really aren't that many. There aren't that many actual Christmas movies. So maybe instead of my idea at the top of the show about the border security movie, maybe if Hollywood could make some actual Christmas movies for a change, and then we could circle around and still do the border security uh, movie, which by the criteria I laid out would actually be a Christmas movie because of all the snow. All right, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. Hi, I'm Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, they use the word conspiracy theory to insult ideas that actually make quite a lot of sense. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be interviewing veteran cop Adam Plantinga on what cops know that you should know, too. That's on The Andrew Claven Show with Andrew Claven.